Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.cooplaxon.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. In today's episode of Soul Talk, I'm so excited to interview my dear friend, Arielle Ford. She is a leading personality in the field of personal growth and contemporary spirituality. For the past 30 years, she's been living, teaching, and promoting consciousness through all forms of media. She's a celebrated author of 11 books, including the international bestseller, The Soul Mate Secret, Manifest the Love of Your Life with the Law of Attraction. She also wrote Inspirations, Love by Design, as well as Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate, a practical guide to happily ever after, as well as Wabby Sabby Love, the ancient art of finding perfect love in imperfect relationships. This interview is packed with so much practical wisdom and value, and Ariel holds nothing back. So get ready, take some good notes, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Soul Talk. So excited today, folks. I am with uh, one of my dear friends. I consider her, uh, let's just say, uh, my, my big soul sister. Uh, she has, over the years, uh, just given me so much support and love, and uh, I just love her dearly. So I'm really excited to invite my, my soul sister, Ariel, Ariel Ford, to the Soul Talk podcast. Ariel, how are you? I'm awesome, Coot. How are you? Good, good, good. You're one of my first guests on the Soul Talk podcast. Really excited to, to chat with you. And uh, I just want to go all over the map. I have a whole bunch of things to, to explore and just really to have a conversation with you. We're talking about uh, Soul Talk and you know connecting with the soul. And so first off, I know you, you know a lot about connecting with the soul. Uh, what do you do to connect with your soul? How do you connect with your soul? How, do you, how does Ariel nurture her soul? Um, well, I'm what I call a pleasure puppy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I make sure that every day one of my biggest priorities is to have experiences of pleasure. Um, so I don't really ever see myself disconnected from my soul. I just want to nourish it and feed it. So it could range from anything from, you know, taking a walk in nature, taking a bubble bath, listening to inspiring music. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is get a foot rub, get some reflexology. Mm. Anything mm. where I can just sit back and let all of my senses be nourished and be in a state of gratitude for the extraordinary, amazing life I get to live. So that's how I stay mm. connected to my soul. Mm, that's beautiful. Do you? What about like, you know, sometimes there's this idea, you know, in in certain spiritual fields, especially, you know, you and I, we have a connection with India. I've been to India a lot. You've been to India a lot. Sometimes there's this 
there's this idea, this this concept, the belief that, you know, it, it's almost like uh, uh, like the more you suffer, the more spiritual you are. And so there's this idea sometimes where people feel a little guilty for you. You, you said the word pleasure, right? So sometimes folks feel guilty for feeling pleasure. Oh, it's, it's, it's not spiritual. We have to, we have to sacrifice and we have to suffer and yeah. it has to be difficult. And, and so yeah, those, what are your thoughts on those that? Are the, those are the people who, who believe that you should take a vow of poverty and that it's, it's unspiritual to have material things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think Ram Dass said it best when he said, we're here in a human body on earth to have a human experience we're not necessarily here to be meditating in a cave for years depriving ourselves of the earthly pleasures and the people who made up all that stuff did it as a form of control you know so you know taking this vow of poverty of sacrifice you know and and i think you know having been to india so many times and as you have written about and talked about this idea of what poverty is is so upside down. You know, we see people who don't have lots of material things and we call them poor when, in fact, inside of their little huts with dirt floors, they are rich with love and family and purpose and connection to the divine. And yet we Westerners would call them poor. So I think we first have to decide, you know, what is poverty? I believe that and actually this is scientifically proven, that having pleasure is good for your health. And how can you serve the world if you're not healthy? If all you're doing is working your butt off and depriving yourself of of good food and good friends and good activities, you're useless. If you really want to perform seva, first you have to fill yourself up before you can fill up anybody else. Yeah. I think that's so that's so true. One of the things I realized, you know, when I went to India, especially the first few times, and you know this because I think we we kind of met around that time. Uh, you know, I shaved my head, took a backpack, and literally, Ariel just tortured myself. You know, and somehow what I what I had to realize, and I would stay in these, as you know, these dollar a night rooms. You know, and I realized there was almost like this egoic. Had to be honest, there was like this egoic satisfaction. Uh, of of this feeling of of like the more I suffered the the better spiritual practitioner I was the more it gave me a sense of basically superiority that uh, I had to give up and so uh, yeah. I, I think I think you bringing this whole idea of pleasure and uh, abundance is, is is a beautiful piece uh, to the conversation. How does someone move? Well, I believe, I, you know, we were though. born to be abundant. You know, if you look at nature, look at mm-hmm. how abundant nature is. You know, how many kinds of trees and flowers and, you know, mm-hmm. lakes and rivers. There's abundance everywhere. Why would we decide that we can't be abundant, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And then, then the more you mm-hmm. have, the more you can give. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. But what about, let's say, someone who feels guilty? You know, because what I, what I had to realize was there was a kind of guilt of if I open to abundance, if I open to wealth, prosperity, abundance, success, it, it somehow it's, it's, I'm taking away 
two things I realized. I'm taking away from, from, from others. Like there's not this idea of scarcity. There's not enough to go around. Uh, but also this, this thought that I would be leaving people behind. And I, and I realized for myself was, um, number one, there is abundance, as you're saying. But also, um, I, can be of more, I can be more of an inspiration and more used to people by truly uh, being abundant and opening to possibility and uh, expressing my greatness than playing small. So how can someone, or how did you move through any sense of, you know, feeling guilty? Because sometimes there is a niggling guilt, like, oh, I, I, can't, I can't, have, can't have too much because, hey, Ariel, I see, I see the, guy, the, the man or woman in the slum of Bombay who has a dollar or, or, the, or the person who has, doesn't have water. And here we have just an excess in the West. So what would you say to the person who might feel a little sense of guilt? Well, you know, Wayne Dyer said it best. He said, don't believe every thought that you have. So just because you're having the thought that if I have, somebody goes without, that doesn't mean it's true. You know, it's what certain people in this country would call alternative facts, right? It's just not true. The more you have, the more you can give, the more you want to give. You know, imagine, Coot, that you're this multi-billionaire walking through the slums and you see that for, you know, $150 million, you can supply clean water to everybody in the Ravi. You would do it, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to walking mm-hmm. through going, oh, I only have one bottle of water. How can I help anybody? So, you know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a way that people use guilt as an excuse for not mm-hmm. doing anything. Well, I don't have enough. How do, mm-hmm. how do I give to somebody else? And, you know, my favorite line from mm-hmm. A Course in Miracles is, the only thing lacking in any situation is that which you are not giving. The mm-hmm. only thing in any mm-hmm. situation that is lacking is that which you are not giving. So, you know, if you're feeling poor, what is it you can give? Can you give your time? Can you give your energy? Most importantly, can you give your love? You know, what is it that you can be giving as opposed to living in this small, defeated, guilty place of, well, I don't have enough, and what if, what if, what if, and, you know, how am I going to do this tomorrow? Where the other line in the course that I really love is, in this moment, I have everything that I need. And it's always true. Regardless of what you think is lacking, in this moment, I have enough fresh air to breathe, enough water to drink, a bed to sleep in, a friend to call upon. In this moment, I have everything that I need. And if you live there in the present moment awareness of all that you have, then you can create more. But if you live in this place of wanting, in this place of lack, where so many people are living, buying into this theory that I don't have enough, I'm never going to have enough, According to the law of attraction, all you get is more of the bad feelings of what you don't have. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. You know, I think sometimes we're constantly, uh, at least many of us, judging what we have as, as not valuable or we're actually not really appreciating the abundance of gifts and resources and skill sets that we have because sometimes we, we, we're actually good at things. And we don't think it's that valuable because it comes naturally to us. But I think for other people, 
what we have and the skill sets we have would be a true gift. And so I think it's important that we, we, we shift our focus too and really start appreciating what we already have, the skills, the resources, the inner wisdom, the experience, and realize that I think, as you're saying, we can, we can give what we have exactly as we are and trust that it will be uh, a, a true gift to those that receive it. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think another um, way to say yeah. that is, you know, you are enough. Who you are mm-hmm. right now in this moment is enough. This striving for perfection mm-hmm. is what trips everybody up. You know, we're brainwashed by the media that we should be perfect and have the perfect relationship and the perfect kids and the perfect job and HGTV mm-hmm. wants us to have the perfect home. And the truth is, perfection doesn't exist. You know, the only place mm-hmm. it does exist is, you know, the, the Persian rug, rug makers, when they're, they're weaving their rugs, mm-hmm. they purposely make mistakes when they're tying those rugs mm. because they believe only God is perfect. So mm. there is perfection there. Mm. But within us humans, we're perfectly imperfect. And once we can accept that, mm. then we can have a life mm. of great joy because we give up this fantasy of perfection. Mm. Was, is there uh, anything, I mean, this is kind of maybe personal, but was there anything for yourself that perhaps, you know, because we all have those things growing up that we we don't think it's perfect about ourselves, whether it's our hair or our skin or, you know, something. And so I'm wondering if there was anything for yourself that for the longest time you didn't feel was perfect and somehow over the course of time you came to love, you came to actually just love this part of yourself or this maybe trait or, you know, aspect of your personality, for instance. You know, for me, it was... You know, I used to really judge, like judge myself as being, let's just say, um, impatient. And so I, I beat myself up and judged myself. So I came to really you know, accept and love my impatience and see the gift in my, my impatience. And, and so was there anything for yourself that, that you, you kind of that oh, turned there around? Oh, so, so many things. I was, you know, I was a, as a younger person, I was cranky and depressed and judged myself. Cranky and depressed? Doing. Cranky and depressed. I was I was not a fun person to be around, and I um, <laughs> and then I decided when I was 28 years old that I was tired of being cranky and depressed and dissatisfied, and mm. I decided to study happy people. I was going to figure out how to be a happy mm. person, how to completely shift everything about myself. You know, I judged myself because I was a terrible student. I had bad grades in school. You know, nobody ever thought I'd accomplish anything. You know, I, as a child growing up, I was very unattractive. I had buck teeth and I was scrawny. And, you know, I, I had judgments all around. But then I decided I was just going to figure out what was good about me. What was I good at and how could I use what I was good at to have fun in the world and make stuff happen? And it didn't happen overnight, but because I was so mission-driven that I overcame being cranky and depressed and I'm now psychotically mm. optimistic. <laughs> You're definitely optimistic. That's, that's for sure. Was there something that uh, triggered that, that decision? You said you decided to, to like shift, you know, your reality yeah. about studying happiness. Was, was there, a, was there a moment like, what was the switch? Cause I think there's lots of people that feel depressed or unhappy, huh. but, 
They there don't was, make there was a, So what, what was what was? I was I was at a very fancy schmancy party in Miami where I grew mm. up, where I was living at the time, in this mansion, this millionaire's mansion on Biscayne Bay, and I felt like I was like the ugly dog in the room. <laughs> you know, I wasn't mm. talking to anybody. I wasn't having any fun. And I was surrounded by all these pretty people who seemed to be having fun. And it just like dawned on me that I was at a choice point. You know, did I want to keep showing up, feeling left out and an outsider? Or did I want to figure out how to be a smiling, happy, joyful person? And I just made up my mind in that moment that I was going to figure it out. And, you know, and then I began to study happy people. And this is pre-Internet, pre-Google, right? There was no Internet back then when all this happened. It was probably 1980-ish when, when I made that choice. But I started buying books, and I started looking at people. Well, two things. I was looking at how to be happy and, and the, the traits of rich people because I, I grew up without very much money, and I, and I wanted – to have money. I wanted to have nice things. So I studied both of them. And then fortunately, a few years later, I moved to LA, where my life really began. Uh, That's where I found that's where my tribe was Southern California. And there was, you know, people to study with in, in the science of mind churches, and there were books to read in the Bodhi Tree bookstore. And, you know, Louise Hay was one of my first teachers. Remember the Bodhi tree? It was, you know, and I read oh, autobiography the of a yogi, and you know, I got exposed to all the wisdom that wasn't available in Miami, or at least I didn't know about mm. it. So, you know, I just took myself on as a project, and I've um, mm. never looked back. I mean, this stuff works, but it requires that you participate. You know, you just can't read the book mm. and hope that something transmitted and. Voila, you're different. You actually have to like mm-hmm. do the deep, hard emotional work. You need to let go of the demons mm-hmm. of the past and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, what, 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 um, what? Based on let's say everything you've experienced over the last let's say twenty, thirty years, what do you wish? What, what, what do you wish you knew? Let's say when you were twenty-one, what do you wish you knew back then that you know now? In terms of everything you've learned, everything you've been through, life experiences, seasons, you know, getting married, everything. Like looking back, what, 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 what do you wish? I you would mean say the thing? number one thing I wish I would have known is that that really bad things were going to happen to me, and not only was I hmm. going to survive them, but they would ultimately turn out to be the best things that ever happened, because as I was going through some really difficult, dark periods, times when I was even suicidal, I had no idea the transformation that would come out of it and the growth and the possibility. So not understanding that, you know, when you're at the bottom of the pit, there really is, it's really the breakthrough point to something extraordinary. And when you're in the bottom of the pit, of course, hearing that, wouldn't have done any good. You know, it's only in retrospect that I can see that, well, thank God I was so sick then, or thank God, you know, I nearly went Mm. bankrupt. Because when you see what came out of it, it's like, oh, I I would not have the life I have today had I not suffered through Mm. the dark times. And it wasn't personal. It's just part of the human experience. Mm. 
everybody takes one step forward, two steps back. It's expansion and contraction, and it's normal. But we live as if something's mm. wrong. Mm. How did you – I actually didn't – I don't know if you and I ever talked about – you said you being suicidal. Maybe we did. But I, I experienced you overall, Ariel, as such a, you know, uplifting – inspiring positive person with a you know positive focus that it's it's actually it's hard for me to i guess believe and so i'm wondering yeah like how did you get out of the bottom of the pit like when you were in the bottom of the pit well, feeling how did you get out of that it was a couple of things. I mean, it, it mostly happened in my early 20s. I, I was very mm-hmm. depressed and Fortunately, I had a really good psychologist and a psychiatrist, and I was put on medication, mm-hmm. which I believe saved my life. Mm-hmm. And there was a point in my therapy session where I was just, you know, moaning, groaning, carrying on, and my therapist said something life-changing to me. And at the time, it really pissed me off. But she said to me, I don't think you're depressed enough. And at that point, I couldn't even imagine, Whoa. you know, what, what could more depression feel like? That's <laughs> what she said to me. And she said, if you were depressed enough, you would be fighting harder to not be depressed. And there was something in mm. what she said where I saw that I was using the depression as an excuse not to do anything. And, yes, there were days when I literally couldn't get out of bed where all I could think about was what's the best way to kill myself. And, you know, that type of clinical depression is real and it's horrible and you need professional counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't a book that could save me. But somehow it was a catalyst for me to see, well, what if she's right? You know, like what if I allowed myself to feel the depth of the depression to go even deeper, what would that look like? Because I was constantly resisting how bad I was feeling, looking for the magic bullet to mm-hmm. fix it. And the, the medication was a bit of a magic bullet. It did take the edge off. But when I was willing to really just surrender to the depth of the misery, that was sort of the first step on the ladder out of it. You know, so, you know, this is all a long time ago. That's about as much as I can remember. But, you know, that was, you know, my search for what would a happy life look like? Because I didn't have any purpose. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, you know. Um, and I was taking a lot of drugs. I was a product of my generation. I wasn't a drug addict, but I had massive use of recreational drugs. And I now see that I was trying to self-medicate. I was also undiagnosed with hypoglycemia and I wasn't interested in food so I had you know I had all kinds of issues going on there so it you know I would say overall it probably took 10 years of really focusing on you know what would it take what does happiness look like for me what do I need to do physically what do I need to let go of what do I need to grow into um but it was that was my journey, you know, and uh, I wouldn't change wow. a moment of it now, even though it was not fun process. Wow, wow, that's that's a that's a journey. Well, so what is happiness? Well, I guess what is happiness for you now, today? 
toughest time of your life. We talk about happiness. You know, it's just kind of a constant state of appreciation and gratitude. You know, I look out a window mm-hmm. or I'm listening to the birds sing or I'm watching my husband or my cats purring, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, I... Um, I can find happiness in almost anything. And yes, are there stressors in my life? You know, absolutely. There are things that make me crazy, but I have a spiritual toolkit that I use every day and that I've built up and I have resiliency. You know, and I know that when, you know, um, one of my favorite things to do is swearing like a sailor. There's a lot of things that piss me off. (laughs) And I give myself... I give myself permission to, to have massive potty mouth. And when I'm done doing that, then I have another thing that I do where I imagine that I'm puffing out seeds of love to the world, which shifts my, you know, my internal dialogue. So I allow myself to let off steam, and then I fill myself back up, you know, being loved. But I don't resist the need to be human. You know, I mean, mm. there, there are lots of mm. things that still make me crazy. I just don't live in crazy. Mm. Mm. One thing I've, I've heard you say throughout the conversation we've been having so far that is, I, I think, I hope people are getting, uh, is this whole simple idea of, of embracing humanity, you know, embracing your humanity. And you're talking about not resisting the need to be human. I think so much of our suffering is this idea of you know trying to be perfect, trying to live, trying to transcend the body. But you've talked about pleasure and embracing pleasure, embracing the body, embracing the human experience. And so one thing I love about you and what I've known of you and what you're saying is, is, is uh, embracing the human experience fully, uh, whether it's relationship and have fun or with love. It. Or, mm-hmm, yeah, I mm-hmm, mean, I believe mm-hmm, that you should mm-hmm. always out yourself first. Okay, so we all have mm. what do, what do you mean about ourselves. Okay, so so if you and I were to go and sit down and have a meal together, uh, the first thing mm. I would tell you is I'm a total slob. I'm going to get my food all mm. over me and all over you <laughs> and all <laughs> over the table, right? I'm just I'm just a sloppy eater, okay? And and you know Brian now knows this about me, and I'll probably eat off your plate as well uh, unless you tell me that you're going to hurt me if I do it. <laughs> You know, and, and I can be, I can be judgmental and critical. You know, so if you're doing mm-hmm. stuff I don't like, I might say to you, you know, this may sound really mean and bitchy, but I think you're overreacting mm-hmm. to A, B, C, or whatever. Um, so mm-hmm. I think we should out ourselves. You know, if you're, if you're somebody mm-hmm. who, um, whatever your issue is, you know, like okay, if, so if you're a chronically late person. And I'm still trying to find mm-hmm. compassion, chronically late people, but they do make me nuts. Me, you know, me and let you. people know me. up front. Huh? Mm-hmm. What would you say? I said, me and, me and you. Yeah. Me and you are still oh, trying yeah. to okay. find compassion so you, you for know, the chronically late ones. You need to ones. just tell people, you know what, um, I, I'm a good person, I want to be your friend, and the truth is I'm almost never on time for anything. You know, and I hope mm-hmm. you can forgive me for that. You know, I'm going to... Be much more open to your problem, and I'll probably lie to you a lot. I'll probably tell you, you know, if we're supposed to meet at noon, I'll probably say, okay, I'm going to be there at 1145, knowing that you're not going to get there tonight. (laughs) I I may try and manipulate you, 
But I really think we should out ourselves right at the start. You know, just let people know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm you know I'm a cranky bitch sometimes, mm-hmm. and it doesn't don't take mm-hmm. it personally or whatever it is. You know, have mm-hmm. compassion for yourself. Have compassion for other people. Most people mm-hmm. don't wake up in the morning thinking, "Oh, I wonder how I could drive Coot crazy today." What could I do to yeah, really annoy yeah. him, ruin his day? No one wakes up mm-hmm. like that, yet we live as if other people in the world are doing it to us. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. I've been thinking lately, you know, this this idea, Ariel, of, because what you said is triggering uh, a quote. You know, we often, uh, in spiritual Circle say, you know, well, we're all doing the best that we can do, given, I guess, given our resources, right? We're all doing the best that we can do, given where we're currently at in our evolution. And so I've been thinking, I guess I've been questioning that. Um, yeah, no, I don't think that's that true. The I, that I think do? there's, uh, yeah, um, they say you're doing the best because you sometimes, can do the level of consciousness yeah. that you have. That's not always true. Mm. There are people who know better. And they're just lazy. Yes. You know. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, are you really doing yeah. the best that mm-hmm. you can do? Or are you just copping out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so and where, so where, lack the capacity. Where, where is the, the, the line between, like, embracing your humanity and having compassion for yourself and just being downright lazy, you know, or, or, or just, you just can't be bothered? Like, where, I guess, how does someone... Decipher that line between stepping up well, think, and you know, holding like, oneself like, to. You know, when you make New Year's resolutions, you know, I noticed a few mm-hmm. years ago that every January 1st, I had pretty much the same thing on my list year after year. And half of them were things mm-hmm. that I just never did, I never got to. And I just finally mm-hmm. decided, you know, the truth is, this isn't really a priority. It's kind of a a fantasy. Oh, if only I could eat 15 pounds. It's a fantasy. The truth is, I love to eat. (laughs) I don't want to be restricted. Mm -hmm. My husband does not care that I weigh 15 pounds more than I did when he met me. He doesn't care at all. So Mm -hmm. let's just take it off the list. Mm -hmm. I went from having what I call a bucket list to a fuck it list. (laughs) And I just moved it over. I'm not going to do that. You know, I had learning to speak Italian on that list forever. The truth is, I would Mm -hmm. love to learn to speak Italian, but I'm not willing to commit hours of my life every week to my tutoring sessions. Mm -hmm. It's just not that big, Mm -hmm. so I took it off the list. You know, and I started to look, Mm -hmm. you know, what is most important to me? You know, being healthy Mm -hmm. is more important than losing weight. So could I commit to Mm -hmm. exercising an hour, five days a week? Yeah. Did I want to do it? Most of the days Mm -hmm. I don't, but do I do it? Yes. Because it's a commitment to wanting to age gracefully and still be strong and healthy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about having a, a, a deep dish, honest conversation with yourself. You know, what is it my soul is really calling for? You know, what it, where is it? Yeah, I, 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 th- I, I think the, on, the honesty, the honesty is key. You know, that 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 willingness to tell the truth to ourselves. A willingness to really uh, get in touch with the reality of what we really feel, I think, and not just what we think we should be based on some idea or some book or what have you or, or someone else's concept, but based on who we really are, I think is, is really true. Um, 
I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, Ariel. Sure. Um, you know, you, you're, you're an author, you do seminars, but you also, I mean, I, I think maybe people listening may not even know, at least some of them who have maybe read your soulmate books or I know you, you wrote a, a Wabi, uh, Wabi Sabi, Wabi Sabi, uh, Wabi Sabi Love. Wabi Sabi Love. I think many people listening in. Yeah. Go ahead. What was the subtitle? Um, you know, I'm going to tell you in one second. I don't even remember. That was okay. <laughs> the ancient art of finding perfect love in imperfect relationships. There you go. And so you've written all these books, and and I think a lot of people may not know. They might, but a lot of people may not know that before that you were uh, like a PR guru. And so I'm just curious now. You know, with where the, the the marketplace is, there's lots of people, especially with the development of the internet, going into the personal growth field. And you know, everyone wants to be a coach and be an author and be a bestseller and and what have you. Um, I'm just curious in terms of what advice you would give those that are either beginning in the field of, let's say, personal growth, inspiration, spirituality, that they want to make a difference in people's lives. And uh, they have a concept, they have an idea, they have a book. I mean, everyone's writing a book now. People are self-publishing. It wasn't like this before. Uh, based on your experience, I'm just wondering what advice you give uh, a newbie, someone beginning. Well, there's a couple parts to that because the world of publishing has changed so radically in the last 10 years. But I would always tell people never write a book unless there's a book inside mm. you kicking and screaming to come out. Because I, I, the thing that drives me crazy is people say to me, well, what kind of book should I write? And that is the wrong question. You know, if there's a book inside you, it will insist on coming out. Um, the other mm. part of it is, you know, selling a book these days is incredibly hard. If you really want to be of service, figure out, you know, what is your, your unique gift and start by giving it away. Write an ebook that you give away for free when people come to your website and they give you their email address. And start to build trust and authority with your tribe. And that's a slow process. You cannot buy that process. You have to share yourself, bleed on the page, give them good content, you know, and have them really interested in who you are and what you have to say. You know, and if at some point it makes sense to have a real book with a real publisher on bookstore shelves, well, that can happen someday. But that is not the place to start. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there who would love to take your money where they're going to teach you how to write a book in one weekend and how to become a best-selling author in one weekend. And people, it's a scam. It's a total scam. You cannot write a good book in one weekend. And to say that you were number one in a very obscure category on Amazon <laughs> for 45 minutes and then have the gall to call yourself a best-selling author is a total and complete joke. And yet people will take thousands mm. of dollars from you and you'll be running around telling people, well, I'm a best-selling author. And that's just pure ego. It, it, you know, mm. you don't want to know what a best-selling author is? When you're on the USA Today list in the top 50, you deserve to call yourself a best-selling author. Why? Because that is the only list that counts 
actual book sales. Even the New York Times list is very subjective and doesn't actually count all the book sales. You get to number one on USA Today, you are in fact the best-selling book in America. But if you're number one on Amazon in an obscure category, what you managed to do was play a game where you priced your book for 99 cents and then you got 50 of your friends to buy it in the same hour and you went to number one in, you know, gardening tips for goddesses 101 <laughs> for a second and a half. So, so don't get into that game, you know. It's, it's not the important yeah. part of it. The important part of it is finding your voice, finding your message, and sharing your message. And one other point I want to make about this is that when I was a book publicist and a literary agent, you know, my clients were Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, Don Miguel Ruiz, Neil Donald Walsh, my sister Debbie Ford, Louise Hay. I worked with all of them, and I was, able, I was in close contact with all of them for years, some of them decades. And the thing that they all had in common that made them all unique and special was that they were all on a mission. They were going to share their message whether or not they were famous. That was not their motivation. They were not ego-driven. They were driven by a higher sense of purpose to share the wisdom that they had. And so, you know, I had a lot of famous clients, and I got to make a lot of them famous. But the other piece of it is I also had other clients that you've never heard of. And the difference that I saw between the ones who made it and the ones who didn't was mission-driven. They, they could not help share what they had to share. They were never thinking, oh, well, should I do this radio show or should I do that radio show because this show is bigger. They never asked me questions like that. They didn't ask me, well, you know, what's the circulation size of this magazine interview you just gave me? The unknowns, that was the first thing they wanted to know. Well, is this worth my time? You know, like Deepak, I remember when I first booked Deepak, uh, an interview with People Magazine. This was like maybe 1994. His first question was, well, what is People Magazine? He'd never even heard of it. He didn't care. If I said go do this interview, he went and did it because he had a message to share. So what is your message and how can you share it? That's beautiful. I think that's uh, such such uh, deep wisdom there. Connect. I mean, I've always felt very, uh, you know, this very driven by a purpose and a mission. I think, and I think you're absolutely right. There's no quick fix, shortcut. You have to do the, you know, the hard work and really add value and uh, align with your message. And I think over time, develop the relationship with your one's community, develop a community, a tribe, and and really add real value. And that's what. Uh, creates a foundation and a platform. It's powerful. Yeah, powerful that's wisdom. the only way to do um, it. You know, it's like I never meant to become an expert on love, ever. It was never in my fantasies to mm. do it. It just happened organically because I figured out a piece for myself. I shared the story. I shared it with more people. It became a book, which became a workshop, which now is my whole life. And it's something I'm so honored and thrilled to do that I can teach people two things. I can teach you how to find love and I can teach you how to keep love. So how lucky am I that I get to share this message? Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing is it it, it came from the authentic experience of your own life and from from what you experienced 
uh, in yourself the the desire to share it, which was coming from a very real place. I think what I see a, a lot now, Ariel, is a lot of people their, their focus and their heart is you could say in the wrong place. It's about the money. It's about the fame. It's 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 not coming from uh, truly uh, serving people, truly serving humanity. It's not coming from that mission place. It's coming from a whole different place. And I and I think that doesn't last. And so. Uh, no, I think it's right on. No, it does. What you're saying is, is is right on, and people feel it. You know, when when you're just trying to sell something or just make money, it's 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 it saddens. It really it really saddens me because I think over time, people, the audience, uh, those listening in and reading books, with they'll feel it over time. So uh, I would just invite everyone listening in, really uh, digest this conversation, really feel into what's your true purpose? What are you really here to do? What's the deepest impulse, the message uh, that is seeking to express itself through you? Align with that and express that. And no matter what happens in the world, you'll always be uh, on point. You'll always be on purpose. What, Barry, what are you most excited and, and, about? You know, like, what, 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 light, what oh, lights you up? Um, you, you were gonna uh, say you know, something. You were gonna say something. We'll, we'll I, I was. I uh, lost that train of thought. So here's what I'm most excited about. Um, mm. My sister Debbie, who you knew well, who died four years ago, mm. has a new book coming out next March, and it's called Your Holiness, and it's about. Um, it's all about the power of prayer, and when she was the last couple of years of her life, she didn't tell me that she wrote this book because whenever we would talk, we were talking about, you know, her illness and her pain and what she needed. And then last December, James Von Prague, the great medium channeler, gave Brian and I and my mom a reading with Debbie, and she told us about the book. And we found the book, and it was perfectly finished and edited. And her publisher, HarperCollins, has bought the book, and it's coming out next March. So that's one of the things I'm super excited about is to, to share her, mm. her wisdom of how to connect to the divine. It's just extraordinary. And Marianne mm. Williamson has written the introduction to the book, and Deepak has endorsed it. And it's, it's really a brilliant, brilliant, wonderful work. Mm. Mm. And so this next, you could say, well, like, What's next for Ariel? What what this next phase of your life, this next evolution? Like, what's next? What's on the horizon? Is there is there anything you're feeling to to um, express next? You know, I there? I'm not much I'm not much of a planner, you know. So um, mm. I'm having fun right now, um, continuing to share what I know about love, and um, I'm teaching at the Omega Institute. I have a weekend workshop on the Soulmate Secret the last weekend of August, which I do once a year that I really enjoy. And um, beyond that, I don't have any big plans. Um, we're going to be in India in November, which I'm excited about. I haven't been there in a while. So um, just really <laughs> taking it day by day, having fun. Um, mm. No no big Beautiful. plans. No, no be, new I'll books be, that I'll, I'm I'll writing be, that I know about. Was there was there a, was there a book that you wish you wrote? Like if 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 you look out into the world, I wish I wrote that book. Is there is there? Yeah, yes. The four the four agreements. The, I think the four. The four agreements. agreements. Is the four agreements. I wish I would have written that book. I. It's so simple and so useful. Yeah. And and uh, I have mm. I have them on my wall. I look at them every day. 
Um, you know, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what the four agreements are, I'll tell you quickly. The first one is be impeccable with your word. Number two is don't take anything personally. Number three, never make assumptions. And four, always do your best. Mm-hmm. If, um, mm. you know, that, that's all you need to know. Simple wisdom. Simple wisdom. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's been great hanging with you, Ariel. I mean, I love love hanging with you, love rapping with you. You know, really uh, just appreciate you coming on and just sharing your heart and adding just value. You're always uh, full of oh, wisdom and inspiration. Yeah. Um, I know. When are you coming to visit us? You owe us a visit, Coot. I know. I owe you a visit. I'm going to come down to San Diego soon. I'm I'm, I'm off to Bali uh, in a few weeks, so uh, I promise, though, sometime over the summer, uh, maybe okay. – uh, yeah, sometime before the summer's right over, here. I'll pop down and see you and Brian. I'll be there. I'll oh, be there. Awesome. And so what's the best way people can, can, can get in touch with you, find out more about what you're up to? I know there was, there was uh, something maybe you wanted to perhaps give the audience in terms of a link. Yeah. So what's, yes, what's, what's yes. the best way? Um, my website is soulmatesecret.com, soulmatesecret.com. And on that site, there's a tab called Free Stuff. So I would uh, encourage everybody to check out all the free stuff. And if you check out any of it, you'll uh, end up on my newsletter list. Every Tuesday I send out a newsletter with juicy tips on how to have more love in your life. So that's probably the best way. And I'm also at facebook.com forward slash soulmate secret. Awesome. Thanks, Ariel. It's been great hanging with you. We'll also put the, the links up in the show notes. I want to invite everyone to to uh, check out Ariel's website, check out her work, make sure you explore everything she has and get her book, Soulmate Secret, as well. Ariel, thank you so much for coming on to the Soul Talk podcast. The Soul Talk is, a, is about having real conversations with renowned uh, leaders and visionaries from different fields. And we're talking about what really matters in life, a deep exploration into who we are and why we're here and how we can make the most of the time we have a life in this magnificent planet. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.